This podcast contains discussion of suicide. This is a challenging topic and we would like listeners to know that there is help available if this is triggering for you. You can call Lifeline on 13114 and the Suicide Callback Service on 1300 659 467. COVID. City of Yara. Isolation. COVID-19 vaccine. Biculturalism. Community. Culturally and linguistically diverse pop-up. COVID. Pandemics. Fitzroy. Interpreting. Cantonese. Oromo. Vaccine-certific food relief. Collingwood. Great East African. Rich man. Chinese. North Carlton. Communities. Yara Libraries. Yara Libraries acknowledges the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people as the traditional owners and true sovereigns of the land known as Yara. We also acknowledge the significant contributions made by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders peoples to life in Yara. We pay our respects to elders past and present. Hello and welcome to Yara Library's Overdue podcast. The COVID-19 pandemic has kick-started a lot of overdue conversation. In this series, we bring you voices of some culturally and linguistically diverse people who live and work in the city of Yara. They reflect on the positive experiences and challenges in responding to their community's needs during this pandemic. These are the recollections of their personalized experiences, memories, anecdotes and insights on where to from here. My name's Dylan and I'm a Community Engagement and Outreach Officer with Yarra Libraries. Today I'll be sitting here with Quinn and Kylie and I'll let them introduce themselves. Hi, my name is Quinn Taylor. I'm a former Community Wellbeings Officer, now working full-time at Yarra Axis at the City of Yarra. Hi, I'm Kylie Carlson. I'm the Senior Coordinator of Community Engagement and Partnerships for Yarra Libraries. Today we're going to be having a conversation about the community in the framework of the libraries and where the libraries started off at the start of the pandemic and how it affected us all. To start this off, we'll begin the story with Kylie Carlson and what the feelings were around the library when the pandemic first hit in 2020. It feels so long ago. So um, it was so stressful. I think our service was basically deemed a non-essential service. So when the pandemic hit, basically the state government said, you're not essential, so you need to close your doors. And I just wouldn't have that. Me and my manager were like, uh, we are actually essential. So it, it was pretty scary. We didn't know whether people were going to keep their jobs. We had to send all of our staff home. We had no capacity for people to work from home at the time. So we weren't set up with laptops. It was really full on. And there was not a lot of clarity around what we could or couldn't do. So whether we could actually come on site and still do library work with our doors closed. So I just remember putting the signs on the front door with Fliss and just walking around and just feeling really anxious and really unsure of what what that was going to look like for our libraries moving forward and for our staff and obviously our casuals too. That was a really stressful time. The libraries did a lot of work around community during that time. And like, um, How did that conversation go and at what moment did you activate that space? 
I was really concerned about our most vulnerable or what you would call our underserved community members because they relied very heavily on our libraries. So when our doors were closed, they were turning up at the doors, needing books, needing access to computers, and were just shut off, really. And for some of our community members, we were the only source of internet, we were the only source of getting onto computers, and we were the only source of information. So that was really frightening. So the first thing I guess I did was got into my car and loaded up with a whole heap of books and started driving around to our housing estates to see what was going on on the ground and like here's some books for the kids, here's some magazines, um, you know, anything to just sort of keep people occupied but also informed and using the books as I guess a tool to connect and find out what was going on on the ground. It was very evident that a lot of people were really cut off, didn't actually understand what was happening. There wasn't the flow of information because they didn't have access to the internet. So I'm talking specifically about our housing estate residents. So we have housing towers across Richmond, Collingwood and Fitzroy and there were so many families and so many individuals that really just didn't know what was happening other than what they were seeing on the news. People were sort of walking around not actually understanding what was going on. Now libraries are information specialists. We are about providing information. When people think about libraries, they think we're just about the books. But so many of our community members come in to access the internet, to access what's going on in the world. So they were cut off from that. So I'm like, we need to get out. We need to get out to these people and, and talk to them and find out what's going on for them. The rules were changing very quickly with the state government around what was essential work and what wasn't. And it was very clear when we're talking with some of our partners, we worked very closely with our neighbourhood houses like Belgium Avenue Neighbourhood House, also Collingwood Neighbourhood House. They were like, food's a bit of an issue. People can't get food. People are getting really stressed about isolating and their usual methods of getting food was not available to them. So there was a bit of panic around there. Food was a really easy way to start connecting with community about the other issues that they were facing during the pandemic as well. So we started teaming up with our local partners and putting the books with the food. So it was sort of a sneaky way of being out there with them because we've been told libraries weren't really allowed to operate. So with teaming up with an essential service like food allowed us to go out and actually start connecting with community and finding out what else they needed. Quinn, you were at that time a community member in the Richmond estate. Can you remember back to 2020 and the first engagement you had with the libraries and just what was going on in your life then? Yeah, that was, man, that was quite the time for me. I can't explain how lost, but at the same time, driven I was to just push through. Having to go through so many different situations, the lockdowns in particular, really affected me the most. It really cut me off from seeing family, seeing friends, and just doing what I would normally do, go out for walks, exercise, just going out and seeing people was one of those things where I have a connection with life overall and a sense of belonging. And having that cut off completely was 
it was a killer. It really affected me mentally. And I'm mentally a pretty strong person in terms of what I've had to go through in my own personal life. But this really took me to the edge as to, you know, was there a sense of continuing on with my life? If it wasn't for being the oldest of five kids, if my siblings weren't the driving force to keep on living, I was in the housing estates with only my sister and that was kind of the driving force to, you know, stick around. And if it wasn't even for myself, I'd give credit for it's to, you know, persevere and actually seek out help. I think a lot of people, especially in my generation, young people in particular, is it's there's that fear of seeking help or thinking that you could just push through and not share, you know, your your story or what you're going through, uh, especially with mental health, how it was like an all-time high in terms of, you know, suicides, depression, anxiety, how that was, you know, on, on an all-time high during the whole COVID period. I didn't want to be, you know, statistic. And so I went out and persevered and, you know, went to seek help. And I was fortunate enough to come across Headspace. And through Headspace, I was referred to the Yarra Youth Centre in Fitzroy. And they were my saving grace. If it wasn't for that service, I don't think I'd, I don't know where I'd be at this point in my life. The team there at Yarra Youth Services has been a blessing. Like, I, I can't describe how much they've helped me push through the tough times, especially during COVID and just in terms of my overall, like, personal home life. And through that connection, I was able to, you know, take advantage of a service that Kylie was able to offer uh, through her skills of uh, being able to pair up with other organisations to provide food for the you know vulnerable community and through that that's how I've kind of been formally introduced indirectly through Yarra Libraries and what they had to offer and it really was an eye-opening experience as to you know what libraries is for and who they represent and it wasn't just that stereotype of oh libraries is just for people who read books you know they offer a lot more than just books. There's real services that they work behind the scenes that really do benefit the community. Was that the first time you'd kind of engaged with the council service, working with youth services and the library? Definitely. Being one of the people who had no idea about council or what they offered, I had this mentality that, you know, it was just taking bins or <laughs> but what is it roads rubbish and rates yeah yeah it was i didn't realize that there was a whole scope to actually offering services to the community i didn't even know when i attended a yaru services that they were an actual council service or part of the council in a sense i just thought they were an independent organization like headspace who just wanted to help young people it was one of those things where being a client of Yarra City Council, I wanted to be a part of that. I even asked during these times of food delivery services who I happened to, you know, 
work with alongside, you know, Dylan and Kylie is how can I join, you know, how can I be a part of this team to help out the community in a sense because I was so driven by how much help that they were providing to me that it was very inspiring and that really connected me to wanting to help others Mm. and I'm yeah I'm really glad and very fortunate enough that libraries was able to give me that opportunity and was that the first time during the the community well-being project I'm assuming so I think that's when we met and me and Kylie had met just three months before effectively during the 2020 pandemic. I was working with the council's food and emergency material relief team. So that was an emergency response to people who were sick with COVID and couldn't actually go out to isolate. And a lot of people didn't have access to food and groceries and even nappies and pretty much anything. We got a baby crib. There was a lady who was actually giving birth while her partner was in lockdown with COVID and they needed baby clothes and and everything to fully support them. And after that time, I then got approached by the libraries as that emergency food team was winding up and came to work on with them with their kind of more community support, which is the service that at that time was delivering meals hot and cold to our most vulnerable community members being housing residents or Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander residents or even just the elderly and frail-aged or people with low accessibility or people who were just lonely, to be honest, and weren't able to get out of the house. So we'd run around like headless chickens trying to get, you know, I think it was something like 300 meals a day out into the community, as much fresh uh, produce as we could. And I think that finished up about January 2021, when the uh, Community Wellbeing Project started. This project was a grant from the Victorian government that the Yarralarabies applied for, and it allowed us to hire 20 full-time staff members. Because we had a few part-time, we ended up having a team of actually 24 in total working with us, and that's where I first met Quinn. Kylie, do you want to tell us about that process? Yeah, like it was massive. I just... I remember delivering food to Quinn and I just remember the state of vulnerability that you were in and I remember your acute concern for your sister and, uh, you know, we we made sure that we were getting vegetarian meals and, and we actually started a partnership with Lentil as Anything because we didn't have many vegetarians at the time or people that were asking for that. So we were reaching out, Bridie and myself were reaching out to different organizations like we need some vegetarian meals you know and it was like we were always like we've got to get Quinny some vegetarian meals you know and I just remember that I just I remember how vulnerable everybody was I remember the deliveries and I remember seeing you and just building that relationship as well and going home very late at night thinking well at least people have got some food and feel a little bit more supported you know how we got our food too, I suppose it's important to note that we have no funding for any of that relief. COVID was hitting so hard and it was changing uh, so rapidly and all these sort of requests were coming in for different things. And we actually reached out to uh, one of our uh, NGOs that we'd been working with, Open Table. We reached out to them because we had an existing partnership and relationship with them. 
we were offering food that would otherwise go to waste. They rescue food that would normally go into landfill. And we were doing community lunches pre-pandemic every Saturday. And I actually reached out to them and said, well, food's still going to go to waste. So, you know, how can we team up in this space? Because I literally had no budget, but the need for food and the need for that relief was really coming to the forefront. So uh, we brought them in and turned uh, our Bagungan Onion uh, North Fitzroy Library into a food centre. And I remember saying to Fliss, um, uh, our manager, and she was director at the time, I'm like, we we really need to get into this food space. And she's like, oh, my goodness, this is crazy. Why, why are libraries getting into food? I'm like, just trust me, you know, um, there's a need here. And I think the food was one part of connecting. I think, you know, thinking of delivering to Quinn and to some other people, there were people in transitional housing that you know hadn't eaten for four days and they were surviving on lemonade and dropping off that food and having you know a little child come out with a a flower because that's all they had you know but wanted to say thank you you know I think about those things you know and think about the impact that had on me personally as well and I knew we were doing a good thing even though it was hard and you know it took a bit of convincing of others to get on board but also creating work for casuals what was also happening in conjunction with this was our homeless community so we started working with St Mary's House of Welcome because no volunteers were allowed to be on site so I managed a team of 20 casuals down at St Mary's that were packing food for the homeless the government had uh, created a you know homes to hotel sort of program for our most vulnerable community members which are our our homeless community, but they hadn't thought of the food element. So St Mary's really stepped in and started delivering food parcels to them as well. So we were a part of that too. And we were just such in a responding emergency sort of state. And when I think about it, it's quite emotional because then the towers went down with the positive cases. So I guess that's when we really kicked into gear with all the towers being shut down and so when there was a positive case on one floor they would shut a whole tower down and and that's where Dylan and the team were part of that. When the towers hit because libraries had already been in that space for quite a few months prior we had the existing networks and we had access to food really quickly so we were asked to come into that space very quickly by our director and he's like these amount of people need to be fed and we need to set up like an emergency centre very quickly. And then we started to bring in the emergency response team, our venues team, our access team. So we we needed to step up really quickly. And I guess libraries had already been doing that work, but not in an emergency response. We were more serving our vulnerable community members that were being triaged through social work the tower lockdowns was a whole nother level of emergency response and it needed a much um, bigger scale response. So we actually set up an ERC. So we set up an emergency response centre out of Willowview and all the other uh, council teams started to feed into that. And that's where Dylan came in through the venues team and we sort of paired up in that space. I guess in in my mind, we kind of had these hard lockdowns and the libraries 
continuing a lot of community support and that's how they met people around. Simultaneously, we had a support from council doing emergency food relief for people actually with COVID. After the first lockdown, we got down to zero cases, which no one ever thought that was going to happen. And then those programs kind of started to wind down a little bit and we went back to business as usual. And that's when the Working for Victoria program came. And Working for Victoria was really about providing economic stimulus to young people, women of colour, people in casual employment. No one that was working full-time or even part-time, I believe, was actually eligible to apply for those roles. And because I was working casually with the libraries then, even though doing quite a lot of hours in the emergency relief team, I was able to apply for a role with the libraries. And it was very much to continue the work within the community and to support community in recovery. Little did we know it was the start of 2021 and there was going to be actually quite a number of lockdowns, particularly towards the end of the six-month period. But this team of 20 people, we started on a six-month contracts and we were all there to learn skills. And really, we came together as a group to try and work out how we were going to best support the community. Initially, the idea was that we would be within the library, but as there weren't many people coming into branches at that point, um, people were still quite anxious. I thought instead of us waiting for people to come in, we should actually go out into the community and work with our existing partnerships, but also forming new partnerships with neighborhood houses, with learning centers, with food centers. As food was still a big thing, we didn't want to stop our weekly, I guess, food market that we did kind of down in Atherton Gardens in Fitzroy. And we had enough staff to support that and do it efficiently. And through that experience, we all kind of worked together, working with one community group like Fitzroy Learning Network. We were able to give one of our officers to them to completely revamp their documentation around their volunteer support for refugee and migrant new incomers seeking permanent visas or applying for housing. We were able to work with our neighbourhood houses to build relationships there. And it was definitely a learning experience, probably a steeper learning curve for some more than others. For myself, it was the first time that I'd really managed a team and a team of, you know, 23 individuals. I was definitely in the deep end with that one. And I definitely made some mistakes, but learned so much. But I think Quinn probably had a similar experience in which he joined the team and was probably one of the most enthusiastic workers that we had. How did you find that experience as part of the community wellbeing team? It was quite just a hectic year, that first period. Like we had to work through a time where it was literally a lockdown period and having (laughs) I just remember a moment where we were all holed up at home and basically cut off from doing any outreach uh, all minimal at best and having to come up with a plan to still try and help the community but at home that was I think the most toughest period (laughs) as a team Uh, and I know I give credit for Dylan to try and keep us all engaged somehow (laughs) I trained that (laughs) bit. I was doing my best. 
it was tough, but I, we we persevered. We went through it. You know, it was only I think two two weeks. We pushed through, and that was what really inspired me to be better and see you know how far I can push myself. I had like barriers in my personal life that you know was conflicting with work, and that was something that I had to really you know adapt to mm-hmm. and seeing like how actually strong I really was and I'm really grateful that I was able to be a part of this team because there's a period where in my life I had to you know figure things out on my own and I didn't think at any point that that was something where actually having help was something beneficial and being able to first-hand experience that with the libraries team was very eye-opening and it really reinforced that there are people out there that will help and will go out of their way to help the best they can. And Dylan, I can't thank you enough really during that time of you know, what had happened to me hmm. and how much you went out of your way to still be there for me Mm -hmm. and that's why i'm i think you know really just to spread awareness as to what yarra city council and what libraries has to offer in particular you know they're really out there to be there for the community i encourage anyone who's listening to this podcast if they're in a situation where they feel like they need guidance or help seek out services there are people there to help you just have to find that inner strength in you to just go out there and ask. Mm. It's taking that first step. Exactly. I think that's something that you've done very well is you you take upon challenges on yourself. And each challenge or every situation, you might not have perfected in the first shot, but you worked and you applied yourself and you tried again, you know, Mm. and you kept trying until you got something right or you made something of it or you could learn more and you sought feedback you know and you put yourself out there which is like the hardest thing to do I think they never change in life like it never gets scary of putting yourself out there and because of that you've been able to really take advantage of every opportunity that came to you and for me as a manager that's like the single-handed like the best outcome like seeing you but also the other staff members one even just leave the libraries people that are so incredibly talented like going off into other jobs into other positions because i know that they have so much to give the community and the world and it's like it's great that we've been able to provide like a launching pad where you have this opportunity but even for yourself like managing the markets on Fridays monthly and fortnightly and weekly depending on the schedule we're doing them and really taking your learnings from that because you've got to organize a whole bunch of different people you've got to make sure everyone's feeling good everyone's got to have a break you're serving 200 bags of food that needs to be organized packed collected people need to go down to food bank to pick it up there's a lot of moving parts in that and it's quite a complicated thing for a, a young person or anyone to kind of be getting their head around and you worked through that process until you kind of got it to a stage where it was going well and we we're all really happy with it. And I think that's kind of how this like uh, opportunity has come now. Like 
what happened at the end of the working for Victoria project for you? Yeah, uh, having that opportunity to, you know, at first part of my life was, you know, being solo and, you know, having that mindset where oh, I've got to do it all on my own. So then now managing a team or delegating, you know, <laughs> certain people to achieve a certain task, it was very much of a learning experience and something that was yeah put into the deep end on you know how teamwork is all about and that was one of the key things I got out of part of the uh, working Victoria initiative was teamwork without teamwork and without the partnerships mm. there wouldn't have been any of this in the first place if mm. Kylie wouldn't have gone out of her way to you know work with these organizations to then deliver out food i don't think i would be here if it wasn't for dylan and for his team i don't think i would have got an opportunity and the experience to then manage a smaller team to then be where i am now where that has now carried over to now ending the working victoria initiative gotten me an opportunity to work within council itself and actually being you know a customer service officer with yarra city council and then progressing into further departments, you know, uh, being a permits officer, etc. cetera. Uh, I think it's been very valuable during those six months and I've really learned more about myself and how I can be a better person, a better colleague, and even a better leader and how that can really progress me further in life. You've summed it up beautifully. The whole point of the working for Victoria was to go into recovery and also continue that community and continue those relationships that had been established in the pandemic. It was very unfortunate. We'd gotten to the end of the year and I think we had two days to write the grant. Our CEO had reached out to Fliss and myself and said, you know, the government are throwing out money for, for, you know, this initiative. Can you quickly write something? And the whole point of it was living the library's changed lives. That's our vision. What had been really at the heart of all the work that we were doing was that libraries can change lives and libraries can make a difference. And it just happened to be in a food relief and then community responding space. So we had to adapt into that. And then when we wrote the grant for Working for Victoria, it was very much around recovery, but it was very much around creating community and creating connections that had been established. So to have the opportunity to go from feeding somebody, seeing them in crisis, to then also be able to offer a job and then see that growth and, um, you know, just see the difference and the leadership the leadership that everybody in that team, everybody has gone on to have really successful careers, either with our council or in other councils as well. Not one person that was part of that grant. I mean, we got $1.5 million to run our library program. And to see Quinn, he was a natural leader, like right from the start as well. But to see Dylan shape your leadership as well and hone your skills was just incredible. And I think back to seeing you at the first time of meeting you and then see your growth and the difference you've made. And you give back to your community, Quinn. It doesn't just stop with your paid employment. 
You're out there doing digital help for people. You're out there in the community. You're always there. It is just so uh, bucket filling for me, so heartwarming to see that that little bit of interaction we've had with you has then gone on to inspire you to do that work as well. You're just, um, just an absolute champion. So, yeah, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity that you took. You know, pandemics are, uh, you know, <laughs> we were all traumatised, all of us as human beings, but there was there's always opportunity in disaster. And I think that's what we did as a library service. And we really stepped up and went, okay, yes, this is just really scary, but how can we respond? How can we react? And how can we be there for our community? And then you've also taken that as well and gone, I'm going to fight. I'm going to make a difference here. I'm going to do something. I'm not going to lay down and let this this pandemic get the better of me, all my circumstances. And I just think that's so inspirational. You know, our community members inspire us for what we do. We are just a mere reflection of what our community need us to be. And at that time, that's what our community asked for our libraries to be. Part of it was about developing trust. So we had not been really active on the housing estates until this had happened. And what we were doing was things like children's drawing packs, activity packs. We were delivering masks. We were delivering up-to-date information. So just being on site and just being there and being a constant presence was really important because then that developed a bit of trust And then it actually opened the door for conversations around, well, what else is needed? What else can we do? And I think like asking what does the community need uh, with the community wellbeing project in general, my whole idea is that like we essentially don't know anything and we don't want to think up an idea about what people are going to need in community. And so us building these partnerships with these community organisations like Fitzroy Learning Network, Collingwood Neighbourhood House, Belgium Avenue Neighbourhood House, Caringbush Adult Education and on these, these are well-established organisations that are community hubs for very many different multicultural communities and people within the organisations also had a partnership with the African Communities Foundation Australia and this is from Ayel and she was telling me, look, like these African women, like they're not going to ask for help, you know, but they're struggling. I need you to help me kind of thing. And so even in a less official capacity, me and Ayel just drove um, heaps and heaps of different supplies and nappies and stuff just to support these families because she's like, we need help. They're not going to ask, but like I'll ask, you know. And so building up these relationships. So when the the kind of, Second lockdown, or third or fourth, gosh, it's hard to remember, one came down and everybody needed a vaccination certificate. We're talking to these community members and we just realised that suddenly you've got families that don't have the internet or I was working with one elderly lady and I asked her if she had a phone. She's like, yes, 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 I share it with five people, a mobile phone kind of thing, and that was quite normal. So there's this massive digital divide between people who needed to get this certification and documentation and and they're good people that have done the right thing but it was difficult for myself to get my first vaccination certificate you know let alone anyone who barely uses the internet or my gov online 
And so we worked with these community organizations to kind of find these needs and set up a lot of digital help, taking laptops with a portable internet and a portable printer onto the estate. And we did this around a lot of our food markets because we knew that we'd already have a crowd there and we're going to catch people. And word spread, it spread fast. Like at each one of these kind of markets, we'd have you know, eight staff members working and would get through, you know, 40 to 60, often elderly and not often, you know, English second language or not speaking English at all, which we would just do anything in our power to try and communicate. We'd use Google Translate. We worked a lot with the bicultural liaison officer through the social strategy um, division, uh, having people that could translate on site. We would call the translating network that Yarra uses. Just we would scrap anything together to kind of work out what people needed and how to communicate. But sometimes the system just didn't apply to some people as well, which was really difficult. And you had to find another solution. Like um, there was one gentleman who had an online Medicare account, but he didn't know his password. And so we're going through the the prompts and it's like what school did what primary school did you go to um and he's getting really frustrated i'm like oh like he must not be able to remember and so i'm like oh you know like primary school and trying to working with him to communicate he's getting frustrated then he's like school no like he didn't actually go to primary school and so for him to have this mandatory question which is asking him which primary school he went to when he didn't go to a primary school you know in this country it's just you don't realize how abrasive these systems are for so many people in our community. And um, it's funny, funny thing, because actually when I'm talking to the Multicultural Communities Task Force, which is actually funding this podcast, I was telling our representative, Ella, I'm like, about these, these stories. And she kind of let me in that they were thinking at one point of changing the vaccination certificate. So it had to be a card or it had to be a pr- officially printed. And I was like, there's so many people that won't be able to access this like you you can't do it we're we're serving hundreds of people you know that don't have the resources to kind of access this so uh i don't know if it made a difference but two weeks later she told me that they decided to scrap that idea and they're just going to keep the original vaccination um system that they had in place I think what's been highlighted too throughout this whole thing is so much privileged assumptions around what people have and what we've noticed on the ground is the digital divide has been massive and we've just been trying to fill that gap wherever we can. But, you know, the expectation that everybody's got a phone that can scan a QR code, half the time we'd have people with knockoff phones, little flip tops, old Nokias that just weren't compatible. And what do you do with that? Like, how do people exist? And I just think there were so many assumptions that everybody had access to internet, everybody had access to a phone that was compatible. And that was not the case. You know, we were on the phone to Medicare for hours and they're saying, oh, thank goodness Yarra Libraries is doing this. You know, that was one of the comments that came back because they're like, we're just getting flooded with all these calls. (laughs) You know, like, thank you for helping um, these individuals because what they had been getting was some really frustrated people on the phone and just taking people through that process was unbelievable but I think it's it, the gap is actually even wider now because half of the world have gone online we've still got the other half of the world that still haven't got access to being online um, they don't have 
that. So I think there's a lot of work to be done in that space. And that's where, you know, um, Quinn's seen that as well. He's seen it firsthand. Even in his spare time, he's off knocking on doors and helping people in the housing estates. He's helping all these you know, all these fellow residents, like, yeah, I can help you with this and I can download this. And, I mean, he's doing it in his own time. It's not on work time. And he's sort of made himself a bit of a local hero, I think, in that space. Yeah, maybe you want to talk about that, Quinn. Yeah, definitely. Uh, <laughs> there were many moments throughout the Working for Victoria initially where I had, to, I did go out of my way. And it was, I guess, to the compromise of... Yarra City Council and having to follow the strict rules of lockdowns that even then I was like I I had to do it you know I I had these were people that just live right next door you know people that I would see nearly every day as I'm leaving for work or coming back home or even just going down to the street and like go do grocery shopping and to see these families like it was I couldn't believe how disconnected some of these families were. And for me to just to think this is just easy for me and for these families was like uh, something so foreign. It was like, I can do something. I can help these people. And I didn't care if I was going to get in trouble, really. Like it was in my eyes and how I viewed it at the time, it was benefiting the community you know, it was keeping us connected and not having us all isolated like most of us were. And that was my drive. One of the big key, I guess, advantages I have is trust. I think a lot of residents within my area, in particular North Richmond, there's a, a, <laughs> there's a really big trust issues between like big organisations and residents overall. A lot of the community is very divided in terms of, you know, who's out there to help. In particular, when there are situations where, you know, that needs to be addressed and it's not being appropriately handled, it comes to a point where it's like, why even bother seeking help? I can just live on life and just ignore what's going on around me. And that's, it's very sad to see that. Um, it's very isolating. And it's not really, well, I've experienced it firsthand, it's not good for your mental health at all. There's no connection with the community. You don't feel a sense of belonging. So in, for me to uh, like completely abolish that and draw that bridge between having that trust with Yarra Council and with these individuals from the community, uh, I've been able to spread awareness as to what, council has to offer one of them that i get involved in every thursday is the digital literacy drop-in sessions organized at the belgian avenue neighborhood house uh, in north richmond they're a wonderful team that has given us an opportunity to help the community really uh, get an understandable bridge that connection of that digital literacy not being so disconnected and actually keeping up with the times who isn't using a, a smartphone these days and there are individuals who who don't have access to those devices but then that's where Yarra Libraries comes in and actually can assist because this computer is available free internet uh, we have library officers in place who can offer more than just digital literacy 
books, food, <laughs> like better quality of life. And I think that's what's very important with my role and even as a young person as well to spread awareness, you know, as to what is out there. And I guess I am in a, a fortunate position where I get to showcase that and really see the best side of what these services have to offer. And I'm grateful that I'm able to still continue that even doing my uh, customer service role access, you know, I'm at these town halls and I'm still serving people who have no idea how to send an email and I'm there just (laughs) assisting them, not part of the job, but still at least providing some service community-wise and they're grateful for it. They're like, oh my God, I have my grandchildren or my kids do this for me and I have no idea how to do it myself and it's like, come on through you know we've got <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm open to teaching or providing that knowledge uh, for those who just don't have access to that or mm. who have it done for them and don't really understand what is being done uh, especially with the phone they have in front of them that they use daily it's like this it's something still so foreign and it's it's something that I want to uh, really uh, I guess end in terms of providing that that uh, bridge, mm. if that's the right yeah, term. Bridging the digital divide. Div- exactly, bridging the digital divide, and I'm glad that libraries in particular is able to you know offer that for the community. And I'm grateful to be a part of that too. I think that's like a great leading point as well, where we've had enough kind of looking into the past and more looking into the future and what we want to contribute to the community is like I really very much want to focus on these outreach relationships working on digital literacy working on community building you know working with in a youth space and seeing how we can continue to serve the community and like get involved with these neighborhood houses in their programming and try and do high quality program that actually allows people to learn and serves a, a purpose for people so that's where we'll be heading as far as an outreach term goes. We've um, sort of built trust with community and then through Quinn's journey, to use Quinn's journey as an example, I think that's really bridged some relationships between residents and council because I, I don't think pre-pandemic people thought council were as caring maybe as we are or as available as, as we are too. So I don't know, maybe you want to talk about that, Quinn? Yeah, definitely. I do have want to share some insight, like in my position pre-COVID, like what my thoughts were of council initially. You know, I think I highlighted this a little bit before about, you know, thinking it was just more parking permits or even just collecting bins or getting my car like fine like it was <laughs> it was like the, those negative connotations with council and i re- didn't really see any positive highlights of council at all and thought it was just like all you know just politics and had no interest at all with that side of things and now with the uprising like amount of programs and just outreach that libraries 
has been able to be a part of and just expose themselves to the community has really built upon that trust. Uh, and I've, I've felt it firsthand. I've experienced it and I think others have as well to the point where now they're looking forward to having libraries, you know, been there in the area, like looking forward to asking like what's where's libraries you know having these weekly events going on and that's now part of their life that benefits them and I think what Kylie highlighted is just being there the exposure before there was none of that and that's what made me think oh what is council you know and if it wasn't for that exposure I'd still be in that same mindset. So I'm, I'm glad that, yeah, people are opening up their eyes now to what council has to offer and that it, it is benefiting the community and also the individual. And that's why they have high hopes and they're looking forward to, you know, the future in that sense of what is being provided. Our big picture is, our vision is libraries change lives, but our purpose is to be what our community need us to be. So that could change, you know, over the next 12 months, our community members might come back to us and say, hey, we want libraries to do this. But I think the main point is we're there. We've got the relationships now. We want to continue having that constant presence in an outreach capacity and continue to build our community, their capacity to succeed and live their best life, but also our community organisations to do the same things and just really enhancing what they do. It's really about aligning, okay, this is what you want to achieve. We want you to achieve. We want people to live their best life. We want them to have a lifelong learning approach. We want them to be the best that they can be. And if we can assist in that, then our job is done. We've made a difference. And I think that comes back to this kind of idea I have where libraries is very much like an intersection. It's like crossroads almost where people might come in to learn or they, at that point in their life where they're um, in a transition, they might be coming to study or they might be coming to seek assistance or connect with community or just have some quiet time. On a practical sense, we're looking to kind of continue those relationships into the community Currently now it's around digital literacy, but it could be around cultural events and making sure we're there. You know, on the weekend we just were at Harvest Festival down at Collingwood Estate and just being there with a few games, books and toys for kids, we were able to connect with our community and smile and just like be part of what's going on. And I had two uh, other organisations, the Neighbourhood Justice Centre, and Collingwood Neighbourhood House, and they were just like, we love what you guys are doing. You're such a part of the community and such an integral part. You're everywhere. Even the mayor goes, oh, you guys are everywhere. And I'm like, well, well, you know, we just go where we're asked to be. And continuing those relationships, I want to focus on supporting community in whatever achieving their goals is. And it's likely to be learning and developing or connecting to community and if it surrounds those themes we'll be there i just want to say i'm looking forward to being part of that journey i i have just the utmost respect in terms of that vision and how that is being brought upon and i not only just for me but for others as well who want to be a part of that journey 
we're here and we're open to you know having you on board uh, with that vision and yeah I'm very optimistic about it I do want to give a big shout out through this journey Headspace Collingwood they were the very first service I looked towards in terms of improving my mental health so I'll cut that off I want to give a big shout out to the services that had helped me through my journey uh, during COVID in particular, one being the Headspace Collingwood Centre. If it wasn't for them, I don't think <laughs> I'd be in the best headspace at all uh, in terms of my mental health. They were the ones that had, I guess, referred me to Yarra Youth Centre in Fitzroy. Big shout out to Chris at the Yarra Youth Centre in Fitzroy, who is my support officer uh, during the time of COVID, if it wasn't for him as well, who was able to, I guess, refer me and uh, expose me to what Yarra Council and libraries in particular had to offer and also giving me the opportunity to apply for the role of the Working for Victoria initiative and as well to the team at libraries. Big shout out to them, Kylie, Dylan, Thank you, I've learned a hell of a lot and I am still learning, um, being a better person. But just during that six month period, the growth that I sometimes don't give myself credit for because I'm just a stubborn person and I still sometimes have that mentality of being solo, but it really taught me a lot about teamwork and just being there for the community and what it has to offer. And it's something that I am all full support of in terms of being able to now share myself and my knowledge uh, to creating a better community. And as well, big shout out to uh, Belgian Avenue Neighbourhood House for giving us the opportunity to do the digital literacy drop-in sessions. And it's something that we are going to expand onto different areas like Collingwood, for example, uh, is the next key area that we're going to branch off and help the community for in terms of bridging that gap. From the Yarra Library's point of view, big shout out to organisations that we worked very closely with during the pandemic. Organisations like Open Table, Cultivating Community, Fair Share, Kinfolk, and that's pertaining to the food relief side of things. And if you want to find out more what's going on at Yarra Libraries, you can visit library.yarracity.vic.gov.au or simply just Google Yarra Libraries. Or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter or SoundCloud to hear the podcast and all the other episodes. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Yara Library's Overdue podcast series. A very big thank you to our co-producers for sharing stories and experiences from their communities on this show. You can now check out more Overdue episode on our playlist at soundcloud.com forward slash Yara Libraries or find them on your favorite podcast app. Overdue is produced by Yara Libraries and supported by the Victorian government through the priority response to multicultural communities during coronavirus PRMC program.